As we are ramping up to Easter, we are talking about the story, the story. What is the story of God? What is God doing on this earth? What is God doing through the pages of the Bible? And so we are going to talk about the biblical story. And I will tell you, if the Bible's ever been confusing to you, if you've read it and you're thinking, what in the heck is going on here? I'm telling you, over these few weeks leading up to Easter, you are going to know cold the, the story of the Bible. And not only are you going to know the story of the Bible, you are going to know how your story fits into God's story. The reality is we are wired for story. We are wired for adventure. That's why we, we are, are you know, neck deep in our Netflix and Hulus and how many are looking forward to Apple streaming service? No, I didn't think so. Uh, there's all kinds of things out there, right? All kinds of media out there. And we have the movies to go to because we love stories. Some of us actually read, you know, books. All right. We love story. Um, Movies, cinema, is a big part of cultures all over the world. You know, especially here in the West in the United States, we love our movies. I don't go to a lot of them because they cost a, an absolute fortune. I'd rather feed my kids than take them to a movie most weeks. But uh, we were on vacation last week in uh, Utah, and uh, there's a cheaper theater there. And so we went there, and, and uh, we saw Lego 2. And uh, we got our $7 soda, which, you know, is uh, a little bit expensive. We got our $8 popcorn, which is cheap. Uh, I would pay twice for theater popcorn. It's amazing. I don't know what they put in that thing. But uh, in fact, my wife and I were at the desert a few months ago, and I went into an AMC theater to buy popcorn and walked out. And people were looking at me like, Are you, what, uh, did I just see what I thought I saw? Uh, and it's totally worth it. That eight bucks is totally worth it. So we got our, got our stuff, watched the movie. And you know what happens before movies, right? You've got endless amounts of trailers. And after every single trailer, you're obligated by law to comment on it. It's just the way it has to go. So the, the trailer goes, and then you look at the person next to you, oh, that's going to be so cool. we got to go see that, or oh, that's pretty lame, or who would watch that? So you make your comments. And then after the movie, on the way to the car, you're also making comments about the movie. Our comments about Lego 2 were... <laughs> Lego 1, cinematic genius. Lego 2, lazy. Anyway, today, I want us to think about our movie being... Our life being a story, like a movie. Our life being a story like a movie. So just imagine your life up to this point being produced as a two-minute movie trailer. Imagine your life right now, as it is, being produced as a two-minute movie trailer. What scenes in your life would be in that two-minute trailer? What might your life sound like if your life was a movie trailer? To think about it this way, you get to make the story of your life. You get to make the story of your life. So make it an interesting part of God's story. Your life is a story. Your life is, is like a movie, but you get to write it. You get to live it out. Now, most of you here are alive still. I mean, in church, you never really know, but most of you are alive. You have breath. You woke up. You got here, right? You have energy. That means your story's not done yet. You can still write the adventure of your life you can still make the movie that is your life. So we're going to have a little bit of, of fun here. Uh, I'm going to play four different soundtracks from four different genres of cinema. And you can decide. I want you to decide which soundtrack best, best fits your life. Ready? Some of you are, are positive, optimistic. You love life. This is your soundtrack. What, what's it from? La La Land. Good job. The only service who, who got that. All right. So you love life, and you're going to accomplish amazing things. You will see the world. Your life will be of interest. You will fall deeply in love. You'll have a couple of kids, and you will make the most of this life that you've been given, and you'll make a difference. All right, so that soundtrack kind of fit you. 
doesn't fit me at all. <laughs> I didn't even like the movie. All right. Maybe your life is a, is a great adventure, a great adventure. So this might be you, right? You're going to take life by the horns. You're going to do something amazing with your life. You are going to right a wrong. You're going to challenge an injustice. You're going to confront evil. You will champion the cause of the weak. You will comfort the afflicted. You will help people in need. You will make this world a better place because you are here. All right, does that kind of sit with you? All right. Some of you are thinking, I don't know about La La Land. I don't know about whatever that movie was. Um, some of you, in all seriousness, have lived a life of some pain. Maybe you grew up in a tough family life. Maybe you have some, some disease or some sickness that is a challenge for you. And you're gonna decide that you're not gonna be overcome by this. You are gonna be a conqueror. You will not only persevere, but you will be stronger and courageous as you live. People will try to beat you down. Life will oppress you. But by God's help and the help of a few friends around you, you are gonna emerge victoriously. You will not be defined by the weaknesses in your life. Maybe that's you. For some of you, and this is uh, my wife's category, uh, you're more of a romantic, right? Relationships drive you. Um, profound relationships are the soul of your life. You want deep and lasting, maybe lifelong friendships. You will love your spouse with all your heart. Your children will be a treasure to you. As you grow old, you will relish in being surrounded by your grandkids who will laugh and play in your backyard. Maybe that's you, all right? So I want you to pick out which of those four soundtracks are your soundtrack. Are you that positive person full of life? Are you that bold adventurer? Are you the overcomer or are you the romantic? Every one of us will resonate with one, uh, at least one of those four. Put that in your brain right now because we'll revisit this at the end. What kind of theme will be your life? Because you've got this amazing story to tell. This amazing story to tell. You have this life that's yet to be lived. Yet for so many, many people, in fact, I think this happens to all of us, we just get taken away from a sense of story into the mundane and into the routine. And we just get into our rhythms day after day. And so days just fly by, then years fly by. And we rarely take some time to deeply consider that our life can be this amazing story that's actually advancing the story of what God is doing in this world. If we don't stop and think and consider our life and the story that we are writing, years are going to fly by. And we're going to wonder, where did it all go? In fact, you go to church and sometimes that's not much better because the pastor might tell you, you know what, this world is just passing by. This world doesn't matter. It's all about eternity. This is all going to burn. And so we're just killing time. We're killing time at home. We're killing time in our jobs. We're certainly killing time in church. Don't let anybody or anything rob you of the sense of adventure and the sense of story. To put it this way, I would want us to think that something wonderful is happening here. Some wonderful story is being told right here, right now, through your life and mine, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our church. Something wonderful is happening here, and I get to be a part of it. And then to think, how can I be a part of it? How can I be an interesting part of God's story? So we've been talking about God's story, and the title is Rescue. God is in the business of rescuing this broken world. And so over the weeks here, we're going to take a major section of God's story every passing week. Two weeks ago when we launched this whole thing, I taught us through Genesis chapter 1. That's really the, the heart of the story. It's the whole path of the story. And here is the summary from Genesis 1. God created the world good and gave humankind dominion over creation and a mission to bring light and order to the world he loves. 
God in his sovereignty decided to make us in his own image so we have a will and we can create and we can do things for good or for bad. And then in his sovereignty, he gave us dominion over this earth. We're in charge of the earth. That's according to Genesis chapter 1. And then last week, uh, we thought about who is going to talk about how things go terribly wrong. And of course, Steve Solomon's going to do it. So he led us last week wonderfully through this theme, that humankind used our dominion to destroy the world God created good. That's Genesis chapters 3 through 11. Genesis 3 through 11 tells four stories. I believe these are grand metaphors, grand parables, not about individuals, but about what humankind has done to destroy the world. Genesis 3 through 11, four stories. The first story is the fall. And this is when the, the serpent tells uh, you know, Adam and Eve, you can become like God. The world falls because of pride. The world falls because of violence. And that's told through the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was, was, was jealous and murdered his brother Abel over that jealousy. So the world falls by violence. The world also falls because of corruption. And this is the moral corruption found in the, in, in the, in the narrative, this epic tale of the flood, that people were abusing each other, mistreating each other, particularly women and children. And God says, enough of that. He will rescue us from the corruption. And then we fall by power. This is the story of the Tower of Babel where the whole world gets together and says, we're going to build this incredible city for us, for our power. So these four, what I'll call grand epic parables, um, are, are detailing really the heart of how we used our dominion to destroy this earth that God loves. It is destroyed by pride, by violence, by corruption, and by power. But in all of this, a truth keeps welling up in the Bible, that God continues to guide us and empower us to restore the world that we broke. This is why it's called rescue. This is why it's called redemption, because God is going to use us to, to rescue the world that we broke. Humankind, guided by God, empowered by God, is going to rescue the world that humankind broke. That's true redemption. That's the story of God. And so here we are now in Genesis 12 through 50, and we're going to talk about this next part of God's story, which is tribalism. A rescue of the world is attempted by God calling a tribe as his own. What is the tribe in the Old Testament? It is the tribe of Israel. Very good. The tribe of Israel. The father of Israel is Abraham. The God of Israel is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so for us to understand the story of God's rescue attempt through tribalism, uh, we've got to understand Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as we do... Let's look at the, at the creation of the tribe of Israel as found in Genesis chapter 12. It's the cornerstone promise of God in the whole of Scripture. Here it is. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. He was an idol-worshiping nomad in Iraq, uh, Mesopotamia. And God says, I've got a new spot for you. Go west. So leave your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, this is the promise, the cornerstone promise, in you, Abraham, through your tribe, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the key covenantal promise of God in all the Bible, and he gave it to Abraham as he launched the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Israel. 
Now, Israel's God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so we have to understand the story of Abraham. The God of Abraham is detailed in Genesis 12 through 25, and we learn two things through Abraham. Number one is that God is a God of unconditional covenants. God's a God of unconditional covenant. In fact, God makes promises that he intends to keep no matter what. And so you look at his promise to Abraham. What was his promise? You'll become great. You'll become the father of a great nation. And all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. God says, I'm going to make a great tribe of Israel led by you, Abraham. And God says, I'm going to do that, period, on my own. It's going to happen. Whether Abraham was faithful or not, God will make his promise happen because he's a God of unconditional covenant. In fact, when Abraham blew it, and he blew it big, his uh, wife, Sarah, was getting a little too old to have children, so Abraham says, if I'm going to be a great nation, I've got to have a son, and I'm going to have that son with one of my servants. Uh, no, no, shame on you, Abraham. Not a good thing. But even though Abraham was faithless, God remained faithful because God is a God of unconditional covenant. In ancient times, a covenant went from a pinky promise to a blood covenant, meaning an animal was going to be sacrificed or animals would be sacrificed. This is kind of gross. 4,000 years ago, they'd be cut in half and their bodies would be put apart. And then the two covenantal um, you know, people would walk through those carcasses. That would be a blood covenant. Essentially what they're saying, and again, it's kind of gross, that if I break my covenant, slaughter me like these animals. So they would do that and then they'd have steaks. So, you know, it's for food. It's all good. The interesting part about Genesis 15, when the pinky promise turns into a blood covenant, the animals are sacrificed and the corpses are, you know, carcasses are spread apart. God puts Abraham to sleep and only a sign of God goes through the animals. What does that mean? We don't have any part to play in God's covenantal promise. Only God will fulfill his promise. Whether or not we're good, whether or not we're moral, whether or not we're religious, whether or not we're faithful, God will fulfill his promise because he's an unconditional covenantal God. We also learn from Abraham that God is a God of grace. God's a God of grace. You might recall a key story in Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham is about to sacrifice his own son. And you might think, well, that is awful. Keep in mind, it's 4,000 years ago, ancient Near East. There was at least one God, Molech, who required child sacrifices. And so it's not unheard of in this whole newfound tribal system for Abraham to think, I'm going to sacrifice my son. As he's about to, God says, that is not going to happen. You will not sacrifice your son. You will not sacrifice your son Isaac. I'm going to give you a substitute. God covers our sin and covers our sin, and he forgives and forgives and forgives. It's his covenantal promise to forgive. And so God is a God of grace. The God of Abraham is a God of unconditional covenant and a God of unconditional grace. Then we have Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise, the child born of, of the older mother, Sarah. He was born by miracle. She was way past child uh, rearing and childbirth uh, age. In Genesis 26 through 27, uh, we see Isaac now grows up, and he grows up to be sort of a, a prototype or a foreshadow of Jesus. He's the son of promise. He was about to be sacrificed, but God gave a substitute. Later through Jesus, we see that, in fact, the Son of God was the substitutional sacrifice. So Isaac is pointing forward to Jesus quite a bit. He's the sacrifice, he's the Son of promise, and he was born by a miracle. 
So he is a foreshadow of Jesus. So we see through the God of Isaac that God is a God of action. God is a God of action. Now, uh, to be clear, because God is a God who is going to move forward his promises no matter what, every once in a while, God intervenes to keep his promise moving forward, and he did that with Isaac. Sarah was way past uh, the childbirth age, yet God acted. God does not act in miraculous ways often. In fact, it is extraordinarily rare, exceedingly rare for God to act in supernatural ways, and we see that in God's word. Uh, Every once in a great while, he moves the story forward through direct supernatural action. We see that by the God of Isaac. Then we see the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is found in Genesis chapters 28 through 36. Jacob is an interesting fella. Um, He's a mess. He's just an absolute mess for a few reasons. He was born uh, through Isaac as one of uh, twins. Esau was the older boy, and so he had, by ancient standards, he had all the rights to the full inheritance, to the full birthright, to the promise of God, all that was headed to Esau. And Esau had the right resume. Esau was this burly kind of man's man, right? Uh, According to the Bible, he had calluses and he was hairy, which totally qualifies him to be the leader of a tribe, right? Now things are a little bit different. Uh, Jacob, on the other hand, and forgive the language here, but it's just, it's truly the spirit of God's word in this. He's, he's a mama's boy. He's a boy that never left his, his mama's leg, always running around. His mom. He had smooth hands. There's no smooth-handed boy is going to lead a kingdom or a tribe in ancient times. But not only was he, he a mama's boy, his brother's out there kind of warrior and, and, you know, hunting for the family. He's out there with, a, with his mom, but they're both brilliant and they're both schemers. And so they came up with this plan to con their dying blind dad, Isaac, so that all of the birthright would go to Jacob and not Esau. I mean, it was a betrayal unlike any story you'll probably ever read about. It is epic. And it's all about lying and scheming and deceit and betrayal. It's disgusting. And yet he's the one that carries forward the birthright and the promise of God. So if you ever feel as though you are, you've just disqualified yourself from God ever using you, read a single page of the story of Jacob and you'll be, think, oh, I'm fine. I'm really good, right, by comparison. So what we learn from Jacob is that God is a God of the unconventional, and that is putting it mildly. There's nothing about Jacob's life that would have him carry forward the promise of God. But God sometimes does very unconventional things. Jacob's name becomes Israel. He has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons, his name is Joseph. He's not the eldest son, but he's the most favored son. So to add to Jacob's mess of a life, um, he is now the worst father ever by declaring to the whole world, that's my favorite son. So he gets all the best meals. He gets all the best stuff. He gets the best clothes, you know, coat of many colors. And he's flaunting around, look at how much I'm the favorite of my daddy. And so all the other brothers say, well, we got two choices. We really got to kill this kid or we're going to sell him. Let's make some money. They sell him to an Egyptian uh, family. And of course, you know the story, Prince of Egypt. He rises to the highest ranks in Egypt. And the tribe of Israel then hits a famine and they go to Egypt begging for mercy. And who do they have to beg to? Joseph. And Joseph has a decision. Do I slaughter this family that sold me into slavery? And in ancient times, he would be cheered for that. Or do I show grace? Here we have through Joseph now, God is a God of forgiveness, redemption, and second chances. 
So we see in Genesis chapters 12 through 50, after the whole world becomes a giant, hot, steaming mess, God's at work. He's at work first through a single tribe, the tribe of Israel. And through that interaction, we learn that God is covenantal. God is gracious. God is actively engaged. God is unconventional at times, and God is forgiving. We learn this from the tribe of Israel. Then we have a punchline. The punchline is found in the last chapters of Genesis and the first chapters of Exodus. Here's the punchline. That tribalism does not work to rescue the world. Tribalism does not work to rescue the world. They were lost. They were without land. They were without food. They came begging to Egypt for provision. Egypt graciously brings them in and then immediately turns on them and slaves the whole nation. That is the punchline of Genesis. Tribalism does not work. Tribalism didn't work before they went to Egypt. Tribalism didn't work in Egypt. Tribalism didn't work after Egypt. And tribalism isn't working now. The Hebrew people never obeyed God for any significant length of time. The Hebrew tribe was not successful in keeping their 12 tribes together. The 10 tribes split from the two tribes in the south, and they had this divided kingdom. In 722 BC, the Assyrians come in and wipe out the 10 tribes of Israel. I mean, wiped them out. They're, they're, they're never to be found again. In 597 BC, the Babylonians invade the southern kingdom, take the two remaining tribes, and bring them into exile, a form of slavery. And they graciously give them back their land, but they never really owned their land or controlled their land until 1948 after World War II. So the history of tribalism is not a, a wonderful history in God's word or anywhere else. Tribalism does not work to rescue the world. Tribalism does not work to rescue the world. And to be fair, God never intended the Hebrew tribe to be the rescue of the world. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, we see this very clearly. Who are the real children of Abraham? This is a very controversial passage. The real children of Abraham are not of blood. The real children of Abraham are not of blood. They're of faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, Scripture looked forward to this time when God would declare all people to be righteous because of their faith. God used a tribe temporarily to bring something better than tribalism. It would be a, a righteousness, a right relationship with God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all over the earth to bring them to God by faith through the grace that he gives us freely in Jesus Christ. Remember, that's always been the plan. Genesis 12, at the first promise, says, Abraham, you're going to be a big deal, but I'm telling you, where this is all headed is that everybody, every tribe will be my people by faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. God's plan was never to have a tribe be the center of his rescuing story. It's that all of us, all of humanity would enjoy calling him heavenly father, enjoy being a people of God by faith, not by blood. Romans chapter two asks a question. It's a good question. Is there any advantage to being a Jew or did God just set aside the whole thing? And Romans two very, very clearly and eloquently says, no, being a Hebrew is a great privilege because of this. Hebrew tribalism kept safe the promise of rescue. Even though everything went wrong in Hebrew tribalism, literally everything went wrong in Hebrew tribalism, didn't work. It was never intended to work. God used this one tribe to keep safe the promise of rescue and delivered to the world the rescuer savior, Jesus Christ. So we're very grateful for God's work uh, with the Hebrew people, but his plan was never to rescue the world through the Hebrew people, through tribalism. In fact, Jesus comes 
through the tribe of Israel, but he breaks it all through. Jesus broke the barrier of tribalism and he says, listen, who is your brother? Your, your brother is everyone, including the Samaritan, including the Gentile. Jesus broke the barrier of classism, rich and poor together in Christ. Jesus broke the barrier of religion, that we are one with God because of mercy, not because of religious works. Jesus broke the barrier between man and God by, by his crucifixion as he takes the sin, the failure, the suffering of the world upon himself and dies for it. And then he even breaks the barrier of death through the resurrection. Jesus is a barrier breaker. Tribalism creates barriers. We need to stick together. We need to be around the same kind of people doing the same kinds of things. There's protectionism there. There's safety there. Jesus breaks it all apart and he says, no, it's not about tribalism. Every barrier must be broken. Tribalistic barrier, classism barrier, religious barrier, ethnic barrier, the barrier with God, the barrier of death, all of it's broken through Jesus Christ. And so here is Jesus now after his resurrection He's hanging out with his disciples for seven weeks after the resurrection, hanging out with his disciples. And they're all Jewish followers of Christ. And so they ask a very tribal question of Jesus. There's three questions. When they came together, they're, they're now you know, eating with the resurrected Jesus Christ. They asked him some questions. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to our tribe after the resurrection? Are you going to restore the kingdom now to the tribe? And Jesus says, no, no, and no. No, no, and no. Here's his answer, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus is really clear. I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. Jesus says, the rescuer of the world will be you. Remember week one? I will be your extraordinary guide. I will be your extraordinary God. You will be guided by my word. You'll be guided by my spirit. You'll be guided through my church, but you are going to be the rescuer. You are going to be the hero of my story. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be over time, not now, but over time, my witnesses. In just the Jewish tribe, no. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes it very clear. This story of rescue will continue, and it will not continue through a single tribe. All those barriers are broken. The rescue of the world will happen when we, men and women of faith, who follow Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit, certainly loving and studying his word, we are empowered to rescue this world one person at a time, as we say around Rancho, to advance the cause of Christ through love, through service, through sacrifice, through generosity, to see the kingdom of heaven take root right here, right now, on earth, because something wonderful is happening here, and we get to be a part of it. Tribalism didn't work then, and tribalism doesn't work now. And I'm telling you, we all, all of us, will default to tribalism, all of us. We have our tribes. We have our racial tribes. We all will naturally gravitate to the same race. So just think, are all of your friends the same ethnic background as you? Do all of your friends look about the same as you? If so, that's just, it's natural. This isn't to heap anything on you. It's just natural to break out of that tribalism. It's going to take some intentional effort. Politics. We love to cluster around our political affiliations. Um, yeah, I play golf every week, and there's always these political conversations. You know, you're having some lunch, and everybody's clustering around politics. And, and rarely will I, I hear, whether it's you know, a golf course or a church or Rarely will I hear 
a diverse group having a reasoned conversation about politics. I think that it never happens. I've never experienced it, a reasonable conversation about politics because we break up in the tribes and this tribe's the enemy of my tribe. And so our country is clinically insane. Our entire country is clinically insane over tribalism. We break off in our political tribes. Economics, we always tend to cluster with people that are of about the same economics. Poor people cluster with poor people, middle class with middle, upper class with upper. We just tend to do that. It's our comfort zone. Even religiously, we love to cluster religiously. And I will tell you, even though this is a, certainly a Christian church, I love the diversity that's here. We do not have to all walk the same thing. You may disagree with 16 things I said today, and that's so wonderful. I love that stuff. I love it when people uh, talk about the message over lunch or with their family and just dialogue and wrestle and Treadway's an idiot today. I love that stuff. Because it's, it's a little less tribal than everybody having to do the same thing and believe the same thing over and over. God wants us to break free from tribalism, but it is so difficult. It is so difficult. The church is not supposed to be a safe tribe of sameness, but a beautifully diverse global family of faith dedicated to boldly rescuing this broken world. Guided by God's word, guided by Jesus and his Holy Spirit, guided by each other, but we together as a diverse family of faith dedicated to boldly rescuing this broken world. That's why Jesus looks at us in Matthew 5, 14, and he says, you're the hero of this story. You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. You can think right now in your own head, I am the light of the world. That doesn't sound right, but it is true. We are the hero of God's story. He will empower you. He will give you everything you need to help rescue this world. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. We're gonna end with the same soundtracks. You ready? Do you remember which one was your soundtrack? Maybe you're that, that positive, energetic person. Maybe you're the adventurer, right? If you're that positive, energetic person, in light of God's word here, I want to encourage you. Don't retreat into the safety of tribalism. Make new friends. Break out of your tribalism. Make new friends you normally wouldn't hang out with. Ask someone very much unlike you for coffee. Befriend somebody most unlike you at work. Ask your neighbor over, even the crazy one, Love your family boldly. How can you make your spouse feel unconditionally treasured by you? How can you make your kids feel completely accepted in the center of your life's enjoyment? All right, that sound pretty good for those of you who are positive and optimistic? That sound like, break out of that tribalism? Yeah, pretty cool. All right, for those of you who are more prone to adventure, here's your call. Do not retreat into the sameness of tribalism. What is broken in this world that you can help make whole? What is wrong in this world that you can help make right? What breaks your heart in our city, in our nation, in our world? And find out how you can make a difference, maybe just in one life. To lift someone up who's feeling weak, to comfort somebody who's afraid or hurting or grieving, to volunteer some time to help others, to give generously so that your life isn't lived for just you. Make this world a better place. That's your theme song. How about those of you who are hurting? You're wounded. This is your call. Don't retreat into the sameness of tribalism. Own the pain in your life, but take courage. By God's grace, by God's presence, by the encouragement of God's church and by friends, you will not be swallowed up by pain or loss. You will instead rise as a wounded healer. You might be limping, but you're moving forward. Ask God for the strength to comfort others as you have been comforted. Do not retreat into feeling sorry for yourself, but carry your struggles well feeling the weight of your pain, but not being defined by it. 
And then finally, for those of you who are romantic, here is your movie trailer. Love more deeply and more powerfully than you ever have in your life. Don't measure life by how others love you, but how you can love others. Be an amazing friend, even if the same isn't always returned to you. Make your spouse feel powerfully loved and cared for, even if the same isn't always returned to you. Make your kids and grandkids feel cherished, even if the same isn't always returned to you. Take your pleasure in making the lives of others a pleasure. That's your soundtrack. Now, I don't know if that was cheesy or cool. I'll leave that up to you. But what I do want you to sense is that there is a story being told through your life. It's a powerful story. It's a moving story. It's an inspirational story. And it's a story that God can use to make this world a better place, to live for the glory of God and the benefit of others, to advance the cause of Christ by your life, your conversations, your family, by your actions, by your love. This kingdom of heaven is coming to earth by our story. Let's pray. Our God and Father, some of, of these things are a little hard to swallow at first, this very foreign idea that you are calling us to be the hero of your story, that you are causing humankind who broke this place to be used by you to fix this place. And, and because these are foreign concepts, we haven't really thought of our lives much in terms of a great adventure, uh, this great story to be told of how we can touch other people's lives with your grace, with your unconditional love, how we can see the narrative of the Bible is continuing even today, that you are at work by grace, by love, by your promises that are irrevocable and unconditional. You are moving forward a blessing to every man, woman, and child, every tribe, tongue, and nation. As you first said to Abraham, you are dedicated singularly to blessing every single tribe on earth. And so God, in order to do that, you are calling us. You are calling us to break out of tribalism. You're calling us to not cluster in the safeness of sameness, but you are calling us to break out as Jesus did, to break out of sameness, to break out of our, uh, our ethnic uh, clusters, to break out of our political clusters, to break out of our economic clusters, to break out of social clusters, to break out of religious clusters, and to bring your love and grace to a world that is still dark, that needs light, that is still lost, that needs to be found, that is still apart from you that needs to be brought near to you and you're gonna use us to do it. So would you use our story? Would you allow us to have this vision, this imagination of what our life can be, how you can use us by your power and by your presence to touch people around us so that this world will be better than we found it, more like heaven on earth. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said, amen.